Five, four, three, two, one. This episode of Who's Round is go. Um, excuse the noise, we're in, uh, it's a bank holiday weekend uh, on the coast, uh, but I'm delighted we've come all this way to speak to a gentleman uh, who has crossed swords with our favourite programme, so I'm going to ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Hello, my name's Jeremy Wilkin. I was in Doctor Who for four episodes, and it's Tom Baker had just taken over. And uh, it was a marvellous experience, actually. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was mainly because of Tom, really, because he's an extraordinary man who... Absolute dynamo of energy. It pours out of him all the time. He doesn't force it. It's just natural in him. And when he's in rehearsal, comes up with the most marvellous sort of creative ideas and things, the top of his head. Very unusual actor. I, I think he's underrated dreadfully. I think he ought to be at Stratford and all those sort of classical places. Now what, what is so nice about Tom is such a conversationalist. Never stopped. Never stopped. I was I didn't find it boring at all. It was very interesting. He's fascinating. Yeah. I think he's a I think he's a potentially great, great actor. I, I'm very sorry that they he hasn't had more opportunities. You know? They should have been. Why the hell haven't the RSC? They don't always get the right people. I, I mean, the ones that were there when I was there, they certainly were right. Um, let's see, Massey. You know, um, Daniel. Ra- yes, Daniel is uh, Ra- Raymond's son. son. Yeah. Uh, he was marvellous. Very, very good as, as Andrew Akercheek. I can see like him doing Like that, a yeah. great, galumphing child. Yeah. Sort of booming around the stage, you know, like Tigger in in A.A. Yeah. Uh, Milne. And um, the other, oh, the, there was, and of course, John Thor, marvellous Manchunian, superb, you know, Manchester boy. And absolutely no vanity whatsoever. You want about actors being vain? There are some, plenty, but not him. Not an ounce of vanity in that man. You have a nice quiet beer with him and just chat. And his wife was very nice too. I knew her, Sheila Hancock. Yeah. They were a great meeting those two, particularly Dan and. and uh, his, I mean, uh, Dan, I thought awful lot of. I th- you see, I th- I think actually stand up is the hardest thing of all, and I think comedy is also the hardest thing of all. It's very easy to be a, a, a doleful dame. <laughs> but it's very hard sometimes to be funny. Tell me about it. <laughs> and to get to get people laughing, and then to build on the laughter till it gets fantastic. I used to watch it as a child because my mother was a, a musical comedy actress, and I, she got permission for me to watch from the side all the time. All these plays, they were mainly um, a lot of them with. Um, let's see now. I'm trying to think. Lupino Lane at the Victoria Palace where he did a Lambeth walk he was a neighbour of ours down on the river at, uh, in, near Windsor and uh, 
Mum had worked with him for Cochrane anyway. She was a sort of starlet with, for Cochrane when she was 17. And my dad met her when he was still a student and sent up a message to her with, it, with his card, a real little stage door Johnny, you know. And uh, that's how they started, going out together and ended up getting married. Yeah. So it was in your blood then? It was inevitable that you'd... Uh... No, it wasn't inevitable at all. I had no intention of doing it. I was going to go in the Royal Navy. And I, I passed my exam for Dartmouth and uh, I failed the medical because I had asthma when I was young. And Dad had it too. And they failed me on family and personal history of asthma. Because obviously if you're in a fighting services... You don't want someone that's going to get contorted with asthma in the middle of a war, do you? And so I, I understood why. But it annoyed me so much, I thought, well, I'll write down them. I'm going to get in as, as a doctor. I'll become a naval surgeon. They're not so fussy about them as long as they're qualified, you know. Anyway, I didn't go, go through with it because I didn't like the way they were teaching us. I thought they were wrong. And, so, and I thought, what am I going to do, you know? And I thought, I think it has to be the arts. I've always been interested in that, those things anyway. Partly because of my mother, but also I was musical, like sing and, and play the piano and things like that. And I thought, well, perhaps I should be a concert pianist. <laughs> it sounds so pompous, doesn't it? A typical child, you know, oh, I think I'll be a concert pianist. <laughs> Easy, eh? <laughs> Nonsense, of course. And uh, Dad said to me, you're out of your bloody mind. What are you talking about, concert pianist? You're far too old. You should be much better than you are now. But already, you know. So he talked me out of it. And he, I think he was right. So I ended up doing the, the medical course and then quitting and going to RADA instead. Uh, RADA, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art for Actors. I mean, I had a natural instinct for acting. It was very easy for me to do. I think we're all very similar in some ways, actors, and that, that is, I think, we're very sympathetic with other human beings, and we like getting into other people's skin and trying to imagine what it is to be that person. And it always troubles me if I can't. You know, like Stalin punished worried me for years. How could you be such a monster? Well, he wasn't altogether. He always protected poets. He said, no, leave him alone, he would say to his secret policeman. He's a poet. We need our poets. He himself was a very good-looking man when he was young. Women felt melted for him. He had illegitimate children all over the place. He's quite different to what you might think, this, this cudgel, tough old bird that he became. He wasn't like that originally, but he was very roughly handled by his, both his parents. He adored his mother, but she used to beat him too. The father was a drunk, always beating him up. That's what did it. And he was top of the class all the time. As, as a very clever kid, you see. And he was just absolutely slaughtered by his family, his, his, his mother and father. She hated her husband. Uh, and so she took it out on him as well somehow. Monsters aren't born, they're created. Yes. I think so. I mean, as a baby, a monster, no. So what about actors? Are actors so you because you went to drama school, so are actors creative? What, did you find that being at drama school 
helped or was your instinct enough, did you feel, as an actor? Oh, no, you needed to be there. You had to get into the thick of it. And it was a sort of... Uh, it wasn't like the real thing, which I knew from childhood because of watching all the rehearsals my mum did. I knew exactly what it was. But when I was at drama school, I began to feel like it's kind of a bit precious, this. It's not quite reality, you know. And I got fed up with it, so I left after a year. Oh, okay. I got a job and left, yeah. Oh, so you didn't see it out? Eh? You didn't see drama school out? No. I, well, I'd, I'd been to another one before for a year. I was supposed to go for two years, or rather. I just did one year, and, and then I got a job as a, an ASM. You started in those days assistant stage manager. You did all the crap jobs. <laughs> First thing I do, you did was make tea for the rest of the company. <laughs> so you're a tea boy as well. You would swept the stage endlessly with dust going everywhere. <laughs> no, people would find it humiliating. I never did. Never. It's like the same sort of thing people go through in the army. No, I took jobs like that because uh, I felt it sort of it was interesting experience. It might be helpful if I wanted to run a company myself to know a bit more about all that. I do want to run a company still. I haven't managed to do it yet. It's getting a bit late. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean you, were, you were educating yourself in theatre, essentially. Yeah, I went on further with it, though. I studied opera as well. I went to Canada and I got a job. Uh, well, I, I, did, I auditioned in Canada for their uh, television and luckily a director thought I was an interesting prospect and took me, you know, kept giving me work on various television, small parts. And then there came along a play written by Ludovic Kennedy called Murder Story. And it was based upon a real case where two boys had shot a policeman dead. They were trying to rob a shop. And the policeman came up and one of them said, let him have it. And the shot this man dead. It was um, Craig, Craig, Craig and Bedley, yes. And I, they, what, what Kennedy was, he mixed up deliberately because he was dead against uh, um, dead against any sort of capital punishment, and he wanted to make it as strong as possible. So he made us both have to hang at the end. But in reality, what happened? The boy that hanged was the weak one. Yeah. The tough one who shot the policeman was underage, so he, he got out. He's still alive now. Yeah. Yeah, and he was the last man to be hanged, Derek Bentley. I, I, don't, I don't think he should have ever hanged. No. Actually, I don't like hanging anyway. No, no. Too many mistakes. Absolutely. You so were you, you were in Canada. Yeah. Were, I, you, were you largely playing... British parts, or did you have to, or did it help that you, no, could, you could be Canadian? I, I Canadianized myself as quickly as possible. Bob Hoskins did too when he went to America. Yeah, the late Bob Hoskins, that wonderful actor. Marvelous. You wouldn't know he wasn't American. No, you wouldn't know. But I tried to do the same thing in Canada, and eventually I won through, and I became part of that culture. It is different. Yeah, it's it's very um, Scottish. Because a lot of the Highland Clearance Scots left and went to Canada. They were given by the landowner to say, there's five pounds, go across to Nova Scotia, New Scotland. And they went there and they found a field full of boulders and trees. They had to fell the trees, whoops, get rid of the roots. 
and carry all these bloody boulders off as well before they could grow anything. You first went there in what, early 50s? Yeah, in 53. But you say you still go back there, so you've... Yeah, I do, I go and work there sometimes. I, I like working at the theatre there, the Shakespeare Theatre. Oh, did you know Robin Phillips, who's just... Yes, I do. Passed away? What, was he dying? Oh, I'm sorry, he died last two weeks ago, yeah. He's oh, a funny man. Very proud. Quite a strange man, actually. I worked for him. Yeah. I didn't dislike him, but it, touchy, he was touchy. But he seems to have done good work there. Oh, he did some marvellous work. I was in a production, he did Simoline. Uh, and he, did, he really gave me some excellent direction. You know, if I was any good, it was down to him. Right. And uh, Chris Plummer, you know, yeah. he's, he was there right at the very beginning, Chris, doing uh, Henry V. And, of course, he's a friend of mine for years. I used to go and see his shows in New York. He was a New York Broadway star yeah. when he was in his 20s still. They used to send him plays all the time. Marvellous actor. So, you, so in the early 50s, you're spending all of your time working in Canada, mixing between television and theatre? Yeah, and radio, and radio drama, due to big radio shows. Because you mentioned to me on the phone that the leading men at one point were you, William Shatner... Yes, and... me, Bill Shatner, and, and Neil McCallum. Yes, that's right. There were three of us. <laughs> Bill Shatner and I were similar, so we were somewhat in competition, and we weren't that friendly... <laughs> As a result, I don't have any feeling against him at all, really. But I, I did a bit at the time, and I think he did too. But uh, Neil McCallum was the bad boy in that Craig and Bentley. Ah. He played, but but you see, he'd switched the characters. Right. He'd made it so the innocent boy, me, and Neil McCallum was was the guilty boy who had who had shot. So I was an innocent kid who got hanged. I was hanged because I was over 18, mm -hmm. and so was he. He switched the ages. He was trying to make a very strong case to ban capital punishment, so he distorted the, the reality. But Neil was a very, very good character actor. He was a Canadian farm boy, actually. His dad had a farm. He was built like you know, muscles everywhere. And he said to me, I, I, I won't live very long, you know. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I had, I had rheumatic fever when I was a boy. And that attacks the heart muscle. So I might just... Sure enough, he did. He died when he was the uh, same age as my grand, one of my grandfather's. I can't remember how old he was now. He died far too young. He died in his 40s. And he, you know, and a very talented actor. He just made it over in London as well. Mm. He worked for Sam Wanamaker, you know, who built the yeah. theatre in London. Yeah. And I've worked with his daughter, to Zoe. She has done one of these interviews, bless her. Ah, she? Yeah. I love Zoe. I had a scene with her, you see, in Twelfth Night, the sea captain who brings her to the shore. Yes, was that on, on stage or on television? Yes, on stage. Yeah. Oh, she's a lovely girl. I, I liked her a lot. Good actress. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. And her dad was too. Mm. 
he did a rainmaker and Neil McCallum my friend was in it and uh, Sam Wanamaker let Neil in on the sort of production side of it so he could learn more about it because he knew Neil told him that he wanted to do that side of things just like Sam did you know Sam I mean it's, it's, it's very common in Hollywood too isn't it yeah Clint, Clint Eastwood has done marvellous things terrific direct as, as a director and running the whole thing uh, you know it's, it's Clooney is another one they all it's a, it's obviously a, a natural thing to do I've always wanted to be an actor manager yeah I haven't made it because I've never managed to make enough money you have to have an awful lot of money to gamble on so why what when did you come back to England and what what, what was the reason for, for doing that they closed the they closed the shop in Canada the government decided not to support Canadian television anymore they were paying half the cost of every show and the other half was paid by General Motors or Procter and Gamble I noticed that on your CV because you were in a series called General Motors Presents which must have been a sort of play of the week or something that's right it was, but it was General Motors Presents which I thought was brilliant they used to come and see our dress rehearsal and say you know I'm sorry but you've got too many dams in there do you mind cutting out some of those dams? I counted 20. Poe <laughs> <laughs> faced chap terrified of their job. You know, and she said, just calm it down a bit while you get rid of some of the swearing. <laughs> Damn, swearing, you know. I ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. <laughs> so you came back to the UK. Was it hard to get established back in the UK? It was very hard to get used to it because uh, I had become very Canadianized in my whole personality. And I had to kind of go back, and I sort of went back to being an 18-year-old kid, in a way. And that's when I got my series to do, um, which was a flop. It wasn't very good. It was, it was a va- damn good idea, but they made us go ahead when they only had one script. So from then on, it was hand-to-mouth. We would get to rehearsal, never having read the script in advance. First rehearsal was first read of the script. And and the, the poor uh, Bob Banks Stewart was the script editor. Oh, yes. And he said, oh, God, you know, I'm so sorry, but I, the script that this guy gave me, I couldn't use it. He said, uh, "You'll anything that you don't think sounds right, verb, just change the words, you know, you know what you think would make it better. Because I've just had to rush it off and I haven't had time to re-edit it. Because he, he worked on Doctor Who as well, Robert Banks Stewart. Did he? I later. A bit of a television legend. Oh, yeah, well, he didn't... I don't know when he did it. But who was Doctor Who? He did Doctor Who around the time... He, in fact, one of the ones he wrote was the story after the one you were in. Oh, after, yeah. Not, not before. But, uh, but immediately after, like a week later. Oh, I see. Uh, I, yeah, I was in four episodes. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Revenge of the Cybermen. Revenge of the Cybermen, yes. Yeah, that's right. In which you play... A, I have to say, there's a clip of Tom Baker on a video where he's watching a clip from it. And he very much... He says he admires the way that you curl your lip. <laughs> <laughs> That's just as all he would say. <laughs> Playing the bad guy is good, isn't it? Oh, I got fed up with being good guys. You see, I, I was very blonde, you know, originally. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little darker now, I've tinted it, but, it, but it, it, it was basically a sort of golden blonde. And somehow they always seem to think you should be playing innocent people. 
I mean, you're Doctor Who. You were cast by um, Michael E. Bryant. Who yeah, that's did right. Quite a lot. I did quite a bit for him. What do you remember of Michael? He's a good director. Oh, he, I think he was a terrific director. He made such a nice atmosphere to work in. I was absolutely broken-hearted when I heard that he was leaving the business entirely. And I said, what? You know, I said to him, are you leaving? He said, yep, yeah, I've had it. They all walked out, an awful lot of the good ones walked out because they didn't like the plans, future plans that the CBC had at that, the BBC had at that time. Yeah. And uh, he was one of them. He was one of the good ones. He, he did lots of things. He did... Um, well, you did Kessler with him as well. I did Kessler, that's right. That was a continuation of an, an earlier story. Secret Army, yeah. Secret Army. But he, what he also did was some of those ones about the, the ship owner, the captain, oh, what the hell was that? The Eden Line? The Eden Line, yeah. yeah. He did those. I wasn't in any of those. But he, he, used, he used to use me every so often. He also did um, Blake 7 that you were in the first episode of. Yeah, I didn't do much in it. No, well... You were I, wasn't, I wasn't very interested what I did in it. You were another baddie. Yeah, well... You're not a fan? I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of myself in that, no. Really? <laughs> no. No. I like to do something a bit more... Oomph. So what have been your favourite things that you've done? Well, I did like that murder story about that, uh, those two boys that had killed the policeman uh, based on a true story. I thought that was very well written. But you never like yourself in things, things really. You only see the faults. Yeah, do you, but do you watch yourself? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to do sometimes. You don't like it, you know, because you think, oh, God, why did I do that? Ah, you know. Yeah. That's how but You can't change it. No, you, it's there forever, you know. A blunder. <laughs> and what about what about the sort of the genre? Because you've done you've done a lot of sort of sci-fi and adventure. I mean, I noticed you did um, uh, uh, Curse of the Fly with Brian oh, Dunleavy. God. <laughs> ah, that has followed me around. That thing. <laughs> Dunleavy was quite an interesting character, wasn't he? He was a very nice man. He would he'd been a good film star in Hollywood, doing all sorts of detectives and things and whatever. But he'd lost his nerve. He couldn't remember a line. And on top of that, it was the arrangement for the studios we had. They weren't soundproof. So poor old Don Levy would get it right. And they and say, thank God I got it right, you know. And they say, sorry, I have to shoot that again. Airplane overhead. They weren't soundproof. Cheapo. I forgot. I forget. Conveniently, the man who was responsible for that. But it wasn't Don Levy and it wasn't the director. The director was a very good director too. Uh, but the, the person responsible for that was outrageous that he, he did that. How, who can work like that? No. Well, it puts all the onus on the actor. As well, and, and he was having trouble remembering life. That's quite common, you know. Gambon's got it at the moment. So I read. But... Um, He's a very good actor too. Yeah. Terrific. Well, I saw him in Crap's last tape, oh, which yeah. where you don't have to learn any lines. So I guess uh, oh. <laughs> it's all on tape. Um, so, d- when you were doing the, the, the televisions, did you? How much theatre were you doing at, at that time? And did you have a preference between theatre and, and, and? Well, I always I prefer theatre to anything else. I actually like the live thing going out 
to an audience, because I think the audience is a very important part of it. Trouble with television, of course, you don't have an audience. Although they have a sort of audience for the comedies, you know, but it's only a sort of sprinkling of people yes, usually. Yes, yeah. And uh, comedy, you definitely need an audience. Anybody does stand up, no, you know. How the hell do you build comedy? You don't get any reactions. I mean, that's how you get laughs. You get all sorts of ideas, crazy ideas in your head. I can, you know. I get terribly tempted in rep sometimes. <laughs> well, to do things that are a little bit too much away from the play. Yeah. And the director would be bloody furious if you did. You know. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I mind that. I'm quite prepared to have rows if I have to. <laughs> yeah. But you seem so. You seem to nip, nip back from Canada to the UK. Well, I've done that a bit, and they start when I first came back here, because I was useful to them. They used to fly me over every so often to do one for them. So I was doing leads all the time, you see. But my age group, yeah. Pat McNee was doing. He, he's uh, older. Than, he just died, ninety-three, and uh, he was doing older leads because he was older. He was he was actually in the war. Well, I noticed that you were in a in a TV the, of the Scottish play with him, and you were Donald Bain. And oh, that's right, I was. And Barry Morse. Barry Morse yeah. was, was Macca's. Yeah. Barry Morse did Macbeth. And Pat, who um, <laughs> was supposed to win in the fight with Barry Morse, I was absolutely petrified, because Barry was, had always wanted to play that part, and he'd got, they'd given him a club with rubber knobs on it, a terrible, terrifying cudgel. And he was going, <laughs> he was absolutely beside himself. He was determined to do, make, you know, a really strong, <laughs> he'd always wanted to do it. And he went nuts. And, and <laughs> that was going, God, Jesus. <laughs> Fed up with him, you know, because of course you, you can't do it for real. No, no. But it felt as if Barry was. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the target. <laughs> so I don't blame Pat feeling like that. No. So, so you work with him a lot then? Oh, yeah. Because you, you worked with him in the New Avengers a couple of times as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. Uh, I can't remember what they were called now. I did. Yes, I worked in two, two of them. Was that because of the Canadian connection? Because it was a Canadian... No, it was because of Brian Clemens. Right. Who wrote a lot of the, uh, uh, the Avengers and the New Avengers. I was also in a play that he wrote called The Edge of Darkness, he called it. And I was the detective in that for him. Oh, I'm very sorry that he died. Done a very creative man, you know. I keep, actually, every week, every time I get another thing from the union, there's always these deaths part. Who's died now? And the last one, I couldn't believe it, the people that have died, you know. Yeah. And I mean, we all have it eventually. Uh, that happens. My mother used to say it. Everyone I knew in acting is dead. Only me, I'm alive, you know. And she wasn't that old. She was 80, 87 when she died, actually. She needn't even have died, I don't think. You know, I think that it could have been... I think she could have been saved because it was. she had a, a, a one-sided stroke. That means the other side still works. You know, because she could understand everything I said. But she just couldn't speak. She had one phrase left. Yeah. I regret, she kept saying. Yeah. 
I don't know what she regretted, but she. I said, "Yeah, you regret, Mummy." I said, "Yeah, yeah." But you see, if she, if she'd been got over that hump, eventually I think she could have got her speech back and everything. I mean, I always feel guilty about both parents' deaths because I feel I should have actually bullied them more, but I couldn't bring it in my heart to do it. But you know, I suppose if I if you if I'd become a doctor, had more experience, I might have been able to help them. Well, yeah, but I don't think you can. I don't think you can. You can regret the paths that you've taken. No, well, I don't regret it. No, I just. It's just. It's just sad. If I look back on all these years about, as an actor, I reckon it's about half and half. Half the time I was actually doing acting, and the other half the time I was doing God knows what other things. I used to get other jobs. I was a postman for a couple of years. I was a. Uh, all of those things are useful for acting because it gives you another insight into people living in a different way. You know. Well, we've managed to get through this without mentioning two things that I'm, 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 I'm conscious you might be fed up of talking about, but it would be remiss to uh, not mention your association with Jerry Anderson. Oh, Jerry Anderson, yeah. So you are you are the voice of one of the Tracy brothers. Yeah, uh, Virgil. And do you voices in Joe 90 yeah. and on screen in UFO so, yeah. so tell me about how you encountered and the secret service of course so <laughs> tell me about your times with Anderson and, and you know those those programs that have managed to embed themselves in the consciousness of so it, many people it, it was great fun actually because I'd done a lot of radio and I'd just come back from Canada you see so I very Canadianized part of the reason they took me on because you know I was, they needed someone a lot of the actors who were English had, were Canadianized in their speech I did some voice work in Canada for an American company and they say uh -huh. you know they, we can hear the red flag fly we can hear the Union Jack flying there oh really when you got a little bit of English going here or Canadian what did they used to say to them something like that having done the puppet ones you did UFO which, uh, in which you were a vision in a string vest I know uh, I love I, it, it, it really tickled me that, that costume because you see it, it's got a connection with fish, fishnet tights doesn't it yeah and fishnet tights connotes very sexy French ladies dancing doing the can-can or God knows what you know in, in France the time of Toulouse-Lautrec. So there's all these sort of kind of thoughts that go along. And there we were in this string vest. But actually, you wear them in Canada a lot. Well, look, I think this conversation should turn less formal and we should turn this off so that you can relax a little bit. But I can't not mention, because it's one thing to be in Doctor Who, it's one thing to work for Jerry Anderson, but you've also you've, you've done a James Bond as well. Oh, yes. That was funny. Roger Moore. Ah. Uh, what a marvellous fellow. I, did, I, had, I never met him before. Uh, but I had met George Baker because I'd worked with him before. Of course, yeah. He worked on my series and I did other things with him too. A film I did with He's him. He's in the yeah, that fly film, isn't he? Yeah, they are. Curse of the Fly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my nightmare. <laughs> I was terrible. I tried to do a French-Canadian accent in it and I didn't do it well. I was really horrified when I saw that I should have shut my mouth. Why? Every you know, you make a real boober, and that's it. You know what it's like. George Baker and Roger Moore actors that crop up often. Yes. Because everyone's like, oh, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about. Well, George was the kindest man you could possibly imagine. 
and Roger set the nicest atmosphere in a studio I've ever encountered. You know, it's awfully easy to get wound up in a studio, all those bells going and everything. I personally prefer working on location because it's more natural. The studio, I feel under pressure. I, I'm not a happy film actor at all. I'm a happy, I used to be a happy live television actor, though. It's funny, isn't it? But it, that was very much like an opening night in the theatre. Every television show, because it was going out while you did it. Went, went out, warts and all. You know? Yeah. You, they weren't allowed, you see, to... Uh, they weren't allowed to spend the money, that was what it was, to actually uh, edit properly when terrible mistakes happened. There was one dry in a, a show that Chris Morahan directed on television. Chris worked at the National Theatre for a while. Yeah, yeah. But he'd actually worked at that rep that I was at in Henley uh, on Thames. But he wasn't there when I was there. He was there before me. But I got to know him. So after this show we did, what was it called? I can't remember what it was called. The Brick Umbrella, that was it. The Brick Umbrella. umbrella. And... Um, one of the actors in a group of young actors of whom I was one, dried, stone dead, didn't, uh, blank, didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to say to get him back onto it. And it just went, uh, like that. And it seemed to go on for five minutes. It obviously wasn't, but it was a very long time. And uh, after the show, I said, oh, God, Chris, I suppose you'll be able to edit that. And he, was, he said, no, I will not. He said, it's in my contract, I'm not allowed to edit. So it's got to go out like that. He was furious. Dear. I don't blame him. No. I th they, that was terrible to do that to him. That makes him look like a Burke too. Mm, sure. Trevor Nunn was very good though, he's very good. There was a boy that dried in a very good part, I can't remember which play it was now, when I was at Stratford. And Instead of, we all, we had this company meeting, Trevor used to call these every so often, and he always talked very quietly, it seemed like that. So everyone sort of, <laughs> he sort of brings you in on it. And he was talk, talking like this, and he said, well, it was absolutely terrible what happened. He totally dried, you know, he stated it all out like that. And this guy goes, oh, you know, that was it. They was not going to do it anymore. That was the end of it, and we all knew it. That was it. He'd said it. Needed to be said, but move on. Line drawing. What a wise man. Gets the best out of his actors, Trevor Nunn. One of the best for doing that. But, I, I mean, uh, Michael was the same way too, of course, Michael you mentioned. Michael Bryant. Right, Bryant, yes. Well, look, I promised to wind this up, so I'm going to ask you the, the, the two final questions, the most important of which is, because you've kindly given us your time and the listener hasn't paid to listen to this, we ask them to donate to a charity. So what's your charity, Jeremy? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm, oh, dear. I think I like, I'll go for the one with the children that have bad uh, cleft palate. Oh, yes. and cleft lips and it can be repaired fairly easily by a good surgeon and I would like to contribute to that, to that. in fact yeah. I, I will do myself as well sure, it's such a terrible to... thing for a little person you know isn't it yes to be and all the other kids going Ooh, you know I, I thank god I didn't have any children that happened to but it would be very hard for a child I, I can't bear to think of it this podcast was 
convened nominally to talk about Doctor Who. Doctor Who was 50 years old a couple of years ago, Jeremy, and people still watch and enjoy it and still watch and enjoy your performance in it. So what is your message to the Doctor Who fans out there who are listening to this podcast? Okay, I hope you keep liking it. We had great fun doing it, and I'm glad, I'm glad if you have fun seeing it and letting your kids see it, because a lot of you have told me that you want your children to see it because you enjoyed it so much when you were children. And I like that. I do the same thing with my children. Well, Jeremy Wilkin, we're going to carry on, but without recording. But for now, and for a brilliant conversation, and for your time, thank you very much. Thank you. Good. I hope that was okay. I, uh... Well, if it's not, we'll do it again. Oh, no, it's br- br- brilliant. Brilliant for us. My thanks to Jeremy and to my friend Peter for driving me all the way to the coast uh, to share a, a very enjoyable afternoon. My thanks to Mark Wright for putting myself and Mr Wilkin in touch. So it's always a bit of a group effort, thanks to everybody, but especially, of course, to Mr Wilkin himself for the generosity of his time and his uh, uh, delightful conversation. His charity, well, he specified cleft uh, palate, cleft lip, but not uh, a particular charity. There are a couple of children's runs. There's uh, operationsmile.org.uk or smiletrain.org.uk, uh, either of those or one of your choice. Um, obviously, never under any obligation, but nice if everyone who listened to this gave a quid. I think we managed to do uh, a lot of good every time one of these was released, um, but there's no obligation. Um, okay, until the next one, which will be around about the same time next week. Uh, Thanks very much and take care. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. The Fourth Doctor Adventures, The Paradox Planet. Time dive imminent. All chronauts to transit stations. Chronauts, you are to recover a male and female specimen of the Xylop species and collect as many Xenox crystals as you can. Minimum force is to be used, all weapons to stun only. Energize now complete. All clear for time dive. There's something in the time vortex. TARDIS sensors detect another vessel approaching rapidly. What? Sensors indicate vessel is on a collision course. Hello. My name's Ramon. And what are you doing in my ship? operation. Of course. We're in a state of war. With whom? With the past. I say, what an impressive control room. This man is a time traveler, not of this planet. I am the doctor. I'm only visiting, seeing the sights. Everyone, get down, get down! Shh. 
Return fire. There are too many of them, sir. They could have been down. Big finish. We love stories.